0: Well, amen. Thank you, worship folks. We appreciate you and uh, uh, doing all of that for us. And so um, uh, if you're listening online or watching online there, give them a a round of uh, thanks. But also just as you clap, make sure we uh, give glory and honor to the Lord, right? So um, uh, we're excited tonight because we continue through the book of Isaiah Do we remember this now? Uh, Isaiah, the Lord saves, Yahweh saves. We have, can you hardly believe it, been through chapters 1 through 23, but we also hit, when we were going through 2 Kings, Isaiah 36, 37, 38, and 39. And tonight what we want to tackle, as I said earlier, is 24... Uh, through uh, 27. Now, the last time we were here and we talked about Isaiah, we went through about 10 chapters. Uh, I think it was 10 chapters. And we went through uh, these burdens or woes that Isaiah was given from the Lord uh, against surrounding nations that had come against Israel or would come against Israel. And now what's very interesting is... Um, God gives Isaiah a prophecy or prophecies or a vision, however you want to say it, in which he enlarges that judgment, not only for the people or excuse me, the nations who have, uh, bothered Israel or come against Israel, but now he's going to, um, talk about impending judgment that's coming against the whole earth, the whole earth. Now, let me remind you of something, uh, uh, Isaiah here is writing, uh, remember, during the time of those kings, uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Those uh, folks, those, those kings uh, reigned and ruled from about 767 B.C. to about 642 B.C. Of course, uh, Isaiah quit a little bit before that. Or no, no, sorry, 687 B.C. Sorry, I got one king ahead. But anyway, so he's from 767 B.C. uh, to 687 B.C. is when those kings reigned. And Isaiah prophesied for most of that time in the uh, southern kingdom remember? And uh, he uh, is uh, uh, an amazing prophet, or this book is an amazing study. This book is an amazing chapter, book of uh, the Bible, 66 chapters. The first section of Isaiah is 39 chapters long. Does that sound familiar? Well, it should because the Old Testament is 39 chapters. And then the second uh, section of this book is 27 chapters. Does that sound familiar? Well, it should, because the New Testament is 27 chapters. And so many people believe, um, uh, you know, or describe the book of Isaiah as the fifth gospel, (laughs) the one that's contained in the Old Testament. It's such a beautiful book, and we've been studying it. And tonight, we're going to get on uh, and go through these uh, four chapters. Now, what what I said earlier is amazing. They're talking here uh, about things that are going to happen even in the future for us. And these things were prophesied in uh, the 700s BC. Now, remember, he was prophesying when Assyria was really bothering the northern kingdom. And in fact, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom, not the southern kingdom, the ten northern tribes were taken away by Assyria. But he also prophesied about Judah's exile from, or, uh, at the hands of Babylon. And when he prophesied, this is amazing, It was still 100 years away from the time in which he was prophesying, and it came to pass just as he said. And so many biblical critics uh, think of this and say, uh, uh, think of things like this, uh, see things like this in the book of Isaiah and think, well, my goodness, this book's contrived or has been uh, written after the fact, and in in fact, that's not the case. Um, And that brings me to this point. I want to remind ourselves, what are we doing here? What's one of the reasons or what's one of the things that you're going to glean from the book of Isaiah? Well, you're going to glean the grandeur and the majesty of God. And you're going to glean and learn of his um, omniscience and omnipotence, right? And uh, the, the fact that he could... Uh, tell these things to a human being, Isaiah, and that these things are coming to pass. And now, tonight, as many of you have been emailing me and asking me and calling me and talking to me about the book of Revelation, and you're excited about it, and that's what we're going to do next. But you are going to love these three or four chapters here. uh, Because this is talking about especially the period of prophecy, or end times, or eschatology, that's called the tribulation period, and also the millennial kingdom. Now, before we begin, I'm going to give you real quickly, very quickly, prophecy outline. I did this uh, during uh, Matthew 24. Uh, had several of you come up and talk to me about it. You were excited about it. So, Recognize that um, we believe in the um, uh, that that revelation is happening in the future. It hasn't already happened. There are other um, uh, schools of thought that think that um, revelation has already taken place. We don't think that. We think it's in the future. We also believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. We recognize that there are many others in the. Um, a body of Christ that believe in a, uh, a post-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, a pre-wrath tribulation rapture. Some don't believe in the rapture at all, and yet you're going to hear, and we'll give you reasons why uh, during the next several months as we continue in Isaiah and the Revelation, uh, why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. But here, here's the outline. Get your notebooks out, get your pens out, and just jot these notes down. The first thing I think you would want to know is you want to uh, uh, remind yourself of Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. You want to remind yourself of that uh, prophecy. Uh, go over there real quick, uh, Daniel 9. As we embark upon uh, this uh, this portion of Scripture, uh, we're going to, first of all, look at uh, Daniel 9, okay? Daniel 9. Uh, I'm having problems getting there, sorry, but I will get there. And there we are. In 24 through 27, it's called the 70 Weeks Prophecy. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire prophecy, or else we wouldn't get through any of Isaiah. But basically, uh, uh, Daniel here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit... Uh, talks about uh, 70 weeks uh, that are um, uh, for the nation of Israel, right? And uh, look here. Uh, well, let me read it. I can't stand it. Here we go. 24. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Have we had everlasting righteousness yet? No. Uh, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy one. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there's seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, uh, I won't go through it all, but that's 483 years. And they've done the math and the um, time from the edict to go and build uh, Jerusalem until Jesus rode in on a cult overlooking uh, the last week of his life, overlooking Jerusalem, that was to the day, 438, excuse me, 483 years. And then you go off into verse 26, and after 62 weeks, Messiah, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. He's cut off in the sense that he died and rose again, and the people of the princes to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And so now in the back of this, uh, uh, we get into the 70 we, 70th week of Daniel. There were 69 weeks From the time that uh, uh, the decree was uh, issued to go back to rebuild Jerusalem, why was Jerusalem decimated? Because of the Babylonians. There was a decree. uh, 483 years were determined. Uh, That uh, 483rd year came on the day that Jesus was riding in uh, to Jerusalem. What happened to the last seven years? Well, that's the point. Remember, I always say this. Israel is God's timepiece. Israel is taught God's timepiece, and there is coming a seven-year period called the period of tribulation, in which this one, who's a prince to come, is going to confirm a covenant with many for a week. And in the middle of the week, he's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even into the consummation, which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now that's where I would start with my prophecy knowledge. And we're going to get into that when we get into Revelation and Daniel. But for now, understand that the, uh, there's a 70 weeks, right? Uh, prophecy in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. The first 69 weeks have already happened. There was a great big gap in between. That gap in between called the church age. You and I live in it now. There's coming a time when there's another seven-week period. That's called the tribulation. What happens before the tribulation? Here's your outline. Know Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Then know this. Nothing else has to happen. It's imminent for the rapture of Jesus Christ. And you could go and look in Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 16, when the church is caught up. Where? Not on the earth, in the air, in the clouds, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. By the way, for those who are taking notes, where do you see that in the book of Revelation? Well, you see the catching up in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation that's a picture of what's happening in heaven when where the church is and then chapters 9 or excuse me excuse me chapter 6 through 19 in the book of Revelation is this 7-year period or the time of Jacob's trouble it's called in Jeremiah or this 70-week period Daniel 9, 24 through 27. It's this tribulation period. So, what do we have? Know Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Know this we live now in the age of the church. Uh, Some have called it the last days. Uh, You could look in Acts 2. But this age of the church, this age of grace and mercy and God's coming, or Jesus came to heal the sick, not the righteous. There's grace being uh, uh, given, and uh, God's building his kingdom through his son Jesus, but there's coming a time when the church will be called out of here, the rapture, raptus, you can look in 1 Thessalonians 4. And that will start a period of seven years, 70 weeks, time of Jacob's trouble, tribulation. In the, uh, That uh, uh, era, that seven-year period is going to be marked this. What's going to happen first? You read a little bit about it in Daniel 9, 27. There's going to be a covenant made. The Antichrist somehow, way, is going to enter into the Mideast peace process, and somehow, with confusion, because the church is going to be out of here, is going to uh, um, take the chaos and make it all calm down through some sort of covenant. And then halfway, you read it, through this seven-year period of tribulation, he's going to set himself up three and a half years as he's fooled everybody, and he's going to ask the people who are alive at the time to worship him. He's going to set himself up in the temple. This is the tribulation period, the, the tribulation period. Well, praise the Lord, folks. Just let me give you a couple scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5:9 here here's why we're to praise the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5:9. We're not appointed unto wrath. How about this one? Romans 5:9. We're saved from the wrath to come. Luke 21:36. Jesus said, "Pray that you're worthy to escape the seven-year period or well, the period of tribulation, this seven-year period. How are you worthy? to escape the tribulation because you're a surrendered saint. You've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You're washed by the blood, and he's going to come back for you, Thessalonians 4, and take you out before the tribulation starts. Do you get it? That's the next period, and a lot of things happen. There's lots of things happen uh, during the tribulation period, Uh, and we're going to go through those Uh, At length, when we go through the book of Revelation, we're going to go through that. There's a lot of things uh, that happen. And you remember, there's seal judgments and bowl judgments and trumpet judgments. And it's going to be a really rough and difficult time for those who are left on the earth. And when I say that, I can hear you out in Facebook land. saying, my goodness, that's gloomy and doomy. Yes, see, but the point is, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Why do you think we stand up here week after week? asking you to surrender your life to Christ as the Holy Spirit hits your heart because now is the time for salvation. You and I and we do not want to go through the tribulation period. Are there ways in which uh, you can be saved during the tribulation period? Yes, but it's going to be way more difficult then. So what does that make you do? (laughs) if you start to understand these things through the Scripture, what, what what practical impact does it have on your life? Well, remember at the beginning of this pandemic, we talked about redeeming the time, not wasting the time, redeeming the time. Well, it forces you, or I think it does, it brings you to the place where you want to redeem the time. You want to continue to just worship your Lord because Revelation 4 and 5, the picture of the church in heaven, what, uh, what will we be doing? Uh, and then at the end of the book of Revelation, when we see our Lord and his second coming, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be worshiping. So worshiping the Lord, that's what we want to do. We We want to worship the Lord. We want to stick close to his word. Why? So that the Lord can use us. Why does he use us? I'm not sure, but he does use us to bring many into the kingdom. Now, we don't do the work. He does the work, but he uses us, whether you're in sixth grade or 60 years old or whatever. And so it does this. As we talk about these things, one of the things that happens is you have a heart, a, a, a push not to waste time. I can't imagine folks in this era with all that's going on. Just going to be honest with you. I can't imagine doing things like this as a Christian. Just can't imagine it. I'll get emails about it, but I don't care. I can't imagine binge-watching something on Netflix for a whole weekend. Are you kidding me? Do we have people in our, in our families? Do we have people in, uh, that we love? Do we have enemies around us, co-workers who need Jesus Oh, there's nothing wrong with watching a movie. Nobody's saying that. There's nothing wrong with watching sports. I'm the sports freak. But it just, it, 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 this, what we're about ready to, talk, to uh, talk about tonight and then through the book of Revelation makes you, propels you by God's word, by his spirit to go and not waste the time and tell as many people about Jesus as we can. I don't know if you know this, folks. Uh, but there's people that are really hurting right now and they're scared and they're wanting to talk about the things of the Lord. Pray about it and share and love. Well, what happens after the end of uh, seven years? What happens? Well, Jesus Christ, Revelation 19, comes back. Who does he come back with? He comes back to the earth after seven years of tribulation. It's called the second coming of Jesus Christ he comes back to the earth with us. Go read it in Revelation 19. And to rule and reign for 1,000 years on the earth. 1,000 years on the earth. And at the beginning of this time, Satan will be bound. He's going to do that. He's going to bind Satan somehow. Revelation, I think, verse, or chapter 20. He's going to bind Satan. And we're going to live in a wonderfully beautiful, peaceful world where Jerusalem is the epicenter again although it's never not been and we're going to rule and reign with the Lord and also at the beginning of that time when he comes back remember this Matthew 25 he's going to judge the nations and what he's going to judge them on is how they've treated Israel Israel remember this okay that's the second coming of Jesus Christ but as uh, the second or, or that or, as the 1,000-year reign at the second coming of Jesus Christ is now established, obviously it's going to go on for, for 1,000 years, right? We, we know that. But, but this is really interesting. But, boy, if you think it through, it just makes the gospel so beautiful and come alive at the end of the thousand years guess what the lord's going to do he's going to unleash satan and some others and they're going to be able to roam the earth and impact people in the sense that they're going to have you know fiery darts and influence because here's why they're going to be some mortals why do i say that at the beginning let me backtrack at the rapture we're going to receive our glorified resurrected bodies Get that? At the rapture, those who are caught up in the air are going to get their glorified, resurrected bodies, but... Some people are going to come into the millennial kingdom from the tribulation period. They're going to get saved in the tribulation period, despite the fact that it's going to be miserable and hard to live there. But they're going to survive somehow, including Jewish people. You know this, that there's 144,000 sealed Jewish people, and there's going to be some other Jews and Gentiles get saved and come into the millennial kingdom. And they're going to live there and be able to live and procreate and have kids, you see. And at the end of the millennial reign, God's going to allow Satan to be released. Why do you think that is? Here's why I think it is. Because God always wants you to have the ability to have free will and free choice. Love is not love without free will. And he's going to allow that to happen. And some people that I tell this to or talk to about this, you know what they say? Really? Why would God do that? Well, that's the reason. Real love needs free will. Real love needs free will or else it's not real love. So what's happening? The millennial kingdom. At the end of the millennial kingdom, we know this. Uh, Satan finally is uh, rounded up, and uh, there's the second death. He's thrown into the lake of fire, the eternal uh, separation from God, what's called hell. And then the new heavens and the new earth, or excuse me, the heavens and the earth melt away, Peter tells us, and new heavens and new earth happen, and now you have your entire end times outline. That's it. There it is. There's a lot of things to fill in. I've been uh, uh, probably uh, not very clear for you. Uh, you're going to just run the tape back or come talk to me, and we are going to uh, get that squared away from you, for you because I want you to have an outline as we go forward. The eternal home of, uh, or, that we're going to have is going to be the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. That's the last couple chapters of the Bible. You could go read it tonight. Okay, now with all that as a backdrop, I want you to go back to Isaiah 24. Boy, do did we, did we got to hurry. And remember now, we've just had ten woes against the nations uh, that have come around Israel or uh, Judah, and uh, now uh, Isaiah gets this prophecy, an enlargement of this prophecy, a world judgment. Listen to this. Behold, in other words, look. The Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste. Distorts its surface and scatters abroad its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest. As with the servant, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered. For the Lord has spoken this word. Now do me a favor and turn with me to Revelation 6. Remember 6 through 19 of Revelation is the tribulation period? Go over with me to Revelation 6 real quick. And I want to show you something. Look in uh, verse 8. This is in the fourth seal that was open. I heard When he opened the fourth seal, chapter or verse 7, chapter 6, verse 7, Revelation, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death and Hades, followed with him, and power was given to them, look at this, over the fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. You catching that? Over the fourth of the earth is killed. This is during the tribulation period. Go with me to chapter 9. Look in verse 15. This is the sixth trumpet judgment or the angels from the Euphrates. Look in verse 15, chapter 9. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, come back with me to Isaiah 24. This is no joke, folks. You know, when I read this, and I think of what American Christendom has become, you know, ride around in a Range Rover, you know, have just the perfect clothes on with, you know, you know the, the perfect wife and the, perfect children dressed up in all their polo or whatever they wear outfits, and there's Instagram, and we've got all the CDs and the lattes and the tw- swirl and the coffee, and it's so cool. That's what Christianity has become. That's the image of Christianity. And we're looking at a time of Jacob's trouble, seven-year period in the future when we're going to be out of here. Praise the Lord, but don't you want as many people as you can to be in the rapture also, including the people who are right around you, who don't know the Lord. What does that make you do? It makes you want to just get on your knees and pray. It makes you want to share the gospel with them. Well, go back with me. That's uh, verse 1. What, what does it mean, uh, all these different people he talks about? In other words, this is going to be a global, worldwide tribulation. It's going to be universal. And here, it doesn't matter whether you're a servant or a master or a maid or a mistress or a buyer or a seller. It doesn't matter. No one's exempt for those who find themselves outside of Christ in the tribulation. Are you catching that? And then it goes on. It says in verse 4, the earth Mourns. This is talking to us about the reasons for this judgment and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth language. God hates pride. If you're out there tonight and you're saying, well, this guy, I don't know, you know, apocalyptic. He's doom and gloom. I wonder, too, maybe if there's something in our hearts, your heart, our hearts, our pride that just says, I don't want to believe that because I want to do whatever I want to do while I'm here. Here it says the haughty people of the earth languish languish, and the earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because, look at this, because they have transgressed the laws in the Old Testament, it was the law of God, the Ten Commandments and all of the laws that build up around it. In the New Testament, what's the um, uh, one thing that gets us into trouble? What's what's, uh, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit? It's rejecting uh, what God has done for us by sending His Son, Jesus, and having the Holy Spirit come live in our hearts as a down payment into heaven, as a down payment for the rapture in one sense. And when we reject Him in that way, when we reject him we've transgressed we've sinned against him and it's causing or will cause us harm look here these people who who are find their way into the tribulation they change the ordinances boy is that so true that's such a word for america we change what the word of god says we make it say what we want it to say That's who who finds themselves going out into the tribulation, and we've broken the everlasting covenant. Now, there's several everlasting covenants. After the flood, uh, there was an everlasting covenant God made with mankind. With Abraham and his descendants in Genesis 17, he made uh, everlasting covenants. With Israel and the priesthood in Leviticus 24, he made everlasting covenants. With David, of course, he made an everlasting covenant that his seed would sit on uh, the throne of Israel, right? And then there's the new covenant, right? The new covenant, Hebrews 13.20, you can think about. But look, those who find themselves into the tribulation have broken these everlasting covenants. They, They haven't done what the Lord has laid out. And therefore, the curse has devoured the earth Men have hardened their hearts. They've rejected God. God being perfectly just. I want you to know that he's perfect in his justice. He's the perfect judge. He's fair. He's given us chances now. Even if you're sitting at home in your den or wherever you are, he's given you a chance now. If you just stumbled onto this video, well, look what happens here. Those who dwell in it are desolate, and the inhabitants of the earth are burned. You can look at Revelation 16, 8, 9. It's not going to be a pretty picture during that seven-year tribulation period. Look at this. The new wine fails. The vine languishes. All the merry-hearted sigh. What this is trying to tell us as we read through here is there's no joy in the tribulation period. The mirth of the tambourine ceases, the noise ends, that's jubilant noise. The joy of the harp ceases. They don't drink wine with a song, strong drink is bitter. The city of confusion is broken down and every house is shut up so that none may go in. There's a cry for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. In the city, desolation is left and the gate is stricken with destruction. And when it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, look at this, God is so amazingly—he's so amazingly graceful and merciful and perfect, and He's the perfect Judge. Here He is. He's going to pour out His wrath. I didn't say this, by the way. I should have said this. Time out in your your outline. What's the purpose of the tribulation? I meant to say that. Well, the purpose of is to prepare, listen to this, to prepare the Jewish people for their coming Messiah in the second coming, and also to pour out God's wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. That's why I've been reading you this Revelation 6 through 19. You see how he pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, okay? But in the middle of that, there must be something. Look at this. They shall lift up their voices and they shall sing. Isn't that odd? Isn't that odd in the middle of the tribulation period? What would there be to sing about? Well, there's two schools of thought here. Uh, One school of thought is because of verse 16, when they say, I'm ruined, ruined, woe is me. These are people who are in the tribulation, haven't given their lives to the Lord, and they're singing in a sense like a, a lament And they're singing, woe is me, I now know the Lord is good, but what can I do now? And they just go off to their destruction. That's one thought. The other thought is... There will be tribulation saints, people who come to know the Lord in the middle of the tribulation. Also, the Jewish believers that we talked about uh, earlier, some people believe this next portion of Scripture are these people in the midst of the darkest of dark times singing out to the Lord. Listen to what they say. They'll lift up their voice. They'll sing for the majesty of the Lord. They'll cry aloud from the sea. They say, glorify the Lord in the dawning light. Verse uh, uh, still in verse 15 the name of the lord god of israel in the coastlands of the sea from the ends of the earth we have heard songs glory to the righteous but i said i'm ruined ruined woe to me the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously fear and the pit and the snare are upon you do you, you, you get that it's like you're a hunted animal in the tribulation <laughs> that's what it's saying there it's like you're a hunted animal And it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. In other words, if that doesn't get, if one thing doesn't get you, another thing will. That's what they're saying here. How frightful. You ever had a nightmare like that where you can't get away from the harm? It's scary. It's frightening. That's what it'll be like in in the tribulation period. There'll be nowhere to run. Keep going. Look up in verse 19. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. There's a big earthquake that's talked about in uh, uh, the book of Revelation. You could look in Revelation 6, 13 through 14, 18. There's hailstones, massive hailstones that hit the earth uh, during the tribulation. Uh, in Revelation 8, it says the mountains are cast into the sea. You remember that? during the tribulation period. And so when you read this, it's violently broken. It's split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth's going to reel to and fro like a drunkard, totter like a hut. Its transgression be heavy, and, it'll be, uh, and it will fall and not rise again. Ultimately, that's going to take place. I told you this in 2 Peter 3.10. This earth is going to melt away. The heavens and the earth are going to melt away Eventually. That's the ultimate fulfillment of this. It's going to melt away, and then we're going to get a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. After the 1,000-year reign. Got it down in your outline? Good. Well, look at this. It shall come, verse 21, to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones. Oh, boy. Who are the exalted ones? The ones that have exalted themselves. And on the earth, the kings of the earth. Most people believe this is talking about Satan and his hosts. And we talked about that. We'll see more about that as we study uh, 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 Revelation. As ultimately, Satan and his uh, comrades are thrown into the abyss. The lake of fire. Hell he's put into. Well, look at this. Verse 22, they'll be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and they'll be shut up in the prison. After many days, they'll be punished, right? Then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. So you have a seven-year period of tribulation. You have a second coming of Jesus Christ. You can look at that in Revelation 19, I keep telling you, and he comes back with us, the saints, And he's going to rule and reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. That'll be the epicenter. Okay, now I want you to think now. Hold on before we go to 25. Can you believe this? This is being prophesied in the 700s BC. He already predicted, talked about Assyria, talked about Babylon, and now he's telling us things that are going to happen in our future. In our future. See, here's the point, folks, as we continue on and as you're watching out there. People are frightened and scared right now. The Bible tells you, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. You can live confidently in the Lord when you know that the Lord is in control. We all say he's in control, but do we know he's in control? And here we see the rest of the story. Well, look at this. Isn't it interesting that now the next three chapters are going to be praise and singing? (laughs) Here you have the tribulation period, the purpose of which is to prepare the Jews for the second coming of the Messiah or the appearance of their Messiah, that they'll recognize the Messiah finally. Also, to pour out God's wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. But we end up in 23 that the Lord will reign gloriously. And here now it says, "O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. This probably is a song of praise from the people who were delivered, you see, from um, uh, the tribulation period. I will exalt you. I'll praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithful or faithfulness and true for you have made a city, a, a ruin, a fortified city, a ruin, a place of foreigners to be a city no more. It'll never be revealed. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you for you have been a strength to the poor, a uh, strength to to the needy. You just pray about um, uh, the wonder or excuse me, you praise about the wonderful things Jesus has done. That's what praise is. And we know there's going to be, or this is the way that the Lord's kingdom will be run. He has a heart for those who can't help themselves. You see that here. Strength to the needy. Strength to the poor. Oh, man, you're never more like Christ now than when you're a forgiving, serving, loving servant. You're a refuge from the storm, it says in, uh, in verse 4, continuing on. A shade from the heat... From the blast of the terrible ones as a storm against the wall, you reduce the noise of the aliens as a heat in a dry place, uh, 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 as a heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow. Now this is important, of well-refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over the people. He'll take the veil off the people. You getting that? Why? Because there's this amazing prophecy in Zechariah 14, 16, that when we get into the millennial kingdom, we'll all go back to the uh, uh, city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles. You say, well, why would you celebrate the feast? Aren't these done away with? Well, to commemorate what the feast symbolizes or means to us. What, did, what were they doing? They were symbolizing uh, that the Lord tabernacled among them and was with them, and they had booze out in the wilderness, uh, etc., But we know we are headed towards a glorious kingdom, the millennial kingdom, and our final new heavens and new earth where the Lord tabernacles among us. Are you catching that? That, That's why in the new heavens and the new earth, we don't need a sun. God is light. Get it? And so, some people believe this is talking here, especially in verse six, about the prophecy in Zechariah fourteen sixteen, where we, uh, all those uh, in the millennial kingdom, will go back uh, to Jerusalem and uh, celebrate the feast of the tabernacles. That's f- amazing—a feast of choice pieces, etc. And he'll destroy on this mountain, as I read, and the veil that is spread over all the nations. And this, look at this, verse eight. <laughs> I just want to implore you, if you're watching, if you're hearing this, you don't have to be afraid of death. The Lord took the sting out of death. Of course, none of us wants to, you know, fall out of an airplane or something like that or be burned in a fire or anything like that. That would hurt, and we would be scared about that. But I'm talking about where we go after we die. We don't have to be scared because the Lord has taken care of it. Look at this. Even all this way back here in verse 8, he says, He will swallow up death forever. Jesus conquered death and now he's gone into heaven and he's the first fruits of all that's coming behind us. That's us. He swallowed up death forever and the Lord God is going to wipe away tears from all the faces, the rebuke of his people who take away all the earth for the Lord has spoken and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We're going to look upon him. In the millennial kingdom, we've waited for him and he'll save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. We'll be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I mean, when we get to that point, the millennial kingdom, you know how you're worried about paying a bill or which are valid concerns or you know, your, your son didn't make prom king, and you, you the parent, uh, you know, you, you, you uh, advertised and promoted him as his marketing agent for about four months, and then your son didn't make prom king, and it just bothers you to no end. You know what I'm talking about? Well, see, in the new heavens, in the, or excuse me, in the millennial kingdom, none of that's going to matter. You're going to look back and go, what was I worrying about? Oh, you're you're going to be so happy about salvation. You'll be praising the Lord forever. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Verse 10 For on this mountain the hand of the Lord will rest, and Moab will be trampled, enemies of God, trampled down under him as straws trampled down for the refuse heap. Right? He's going to, uh, again, it just keeps talking about it. When he comes back, he's going to judge the nations in the millennial at the beginning there of the millennial kingdom he'll spread out his hands in their midst as a swimmer reaches look at the look at the look at the, look at the uh, imagery he gives as a swimmer reaches out to swim he'll just bring down all the nations just cutting through the current isn't that beautiful Together with the trickery of their hands, there in verse 11, the fortress of the high fort of your walls, he will bring down, lay low, and bring the ground down to the dust. Now, here comes a song of salvation. Again, most people believe this is the song of the Jewish remnant that were saved during the tribulation period. Why? Read the first line. In that day. What day? The day that Messiah reigns. In the land where? Of Judah. In the land where? Of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation, even for the walls and the bulwarks. Those are the ramparts. Those are the defenses. In other words, the Lord will establish a strong city. It'll be so strong uh, in the uh, millennial kingdom. It'll all be put back right. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. You, look, isn't this going to be beautiful? Oh, my. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. We could do a whole sermon about this because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Remember, we can have peace with God by the blood of Jesus Christ, but then Philippians chapter 4, I believe, we also can have the peace of God. And I wonder if Paul, writing Philippians had this in mind, and God used it. By the way, the next line, this is interesting, for Yah, the Lord, is your everlasting, most of your Bibles is going to say strength. Some places it says rock. This is where uh, uh, the hymn writer, uh, I think his name is Augustus Toplidae, wrote the Rock of Ages. This is what he derived it from interesting side note. Anyway, for in Yah, the Lord is everlasting spring. He brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low. And they would know this, wouldn't they? Right? They would know this. (laughs) They got lofty. The northern kingdom got lofty. The southern kingdom's about ready to get lofty and taken away. And we see that a city can be laid low by the Lord. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down. The feet of the poor and the steps of the needy, verse 6. The way of the just, though, is uprightness. O oh, most, isn't that a great name for the Lord? O oh, most upright. I bet no one got that in all the names of the Lord. Raise your hand if you got that in the names of the Lord. Okay, there's nobody in here. But anyway, you weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. here's, Here's what happens in the kingdom of the Lord. Look at this. Look at this. The desire of our soul is for your name. Name in the Bible always means character. I just want more of you, Lord, more of you, less of me, more of you. And the remembrance of you, I want to remember you. I want to remember you and think on you, Lord. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the uh, world will learn righteousness. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God's after righteousness. So he gives us his imputed righteousness, and then he, uh, uh, by sanctification, brings us more down the path towards Christ-likeness so that we do right things. And the inhabitants of the world look and see us, and they're taught about righteousness. Did you catch that? If you didn't catch that, go back in the tape, because that's astounding, so they learn about righteousness. Let grace be shown to the wicked, verse 10. Yet he will not learn righteous. In the land of uprightness, he'll deal unjustly. And he'll not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see. But they will see and be ashamed for their envy of the people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. You see, in the, in the tribulation period, it's going to be so much more difficult to surrender your life to Christ and be a Christ follower. I mean, you could get your head lopped off for that. We'll talk about that during the Revelation uh, study. Uh, but, but so the point is, the point that the writer is making is, man, it's so blessed to be in the millennial kingdom. But how about uh, for us, as we look down our outline, let's be ones, again, who surrender our lives now during the church age. Folks, I just have to warn you, there's coming a time of terrible judgment, seven years of it, and I don't want any of us listening or uh, around this church to be there. I want you to be in heaven with the Lord, ready to come back and rule and reign with him according to Revelation 19. Get it? Well, look, keep going with me. Verse 12, Lord, you will establish peace for us. For the ones who make it through, you will establish peace for us. That's what your kingdom will all be about. For you also have done all our works in us. Oh, my. Isn't that beautiful? Just, just look at that. Circle that in your Bible. I'm so glad that God does all our works or all his works in me and in you. It's so difficult to conjure up good behavior and yet the Lord keeps working on me from the inside out, not from the outside in. Isn't that wonderful? Such a beautiful scripture. Well, uh, verse thirteen: Our Lord, our God, masters beside you have. Uh, our, our Lord, our God, masters besides you sorry, I read it wrong, have had dominion over us. Yeah, these people were, um, you know, ruled by several nations, right? Have had dominion. But by you only we make mention of your name. Now that's a fascinating thing. Hang with me for a minute. (laughs) You ever been to somebody who gives their testimony and their testimony really is not about the Lord You hear in their testimony, but they're bragging about how into sin they were and how dark their life was. It's almost as if, like, they want to go back and do it and just, like, shock you. It's so cool that they can tell you these hard things about their life. And here, Isaiah is saying, I think, even when I have... Lord, if anything has been made out of my life, if anything's been made out of my life, I want to say that it was because of you. I don't want to brag on me and what I used to do or anything like that. I'll only mention your name. Well, anyway, keep going. Verse 14, they are dead, they will not live. They are deceased, they will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them. He's talking about the ones who had dominion over uh, Israel and Judah. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. You've increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You're glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. It's like he changes the map. By the way, they gave them, uh, the Israelites, such a great big piece of land, all the way from the Euphrates down to a river down in Egypt. But when they went across the Jordan River in the book of Joshua, guess what they didn't do? Guess what they didn't do? They didn't uh, go and battle and take the land that God gave them to, or God gave, God gave to them, and they still haven't uh, possessed all their land. And that's a great spiritual lesson for us. He wants us to go into the world uh, and uh, claim what is ours in victory in Christ. To to live a spirit-filled life, not a carnal Christian life, and that again is a sermon for another day. Okay. Here we go, final push. Verse 16, Lord, in trouble, they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening uh, was upon them as a woman with trial is, uh, is in pain and cries out in her pangs. Uh, When she draws near the time of her delivery, so we have seen in your sight, O Lord, we have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. In other words, uh, we haven't done anything, Lord. You have chosen us, and it's been a graceful, wonderful choosing. These uh, people, these redeemed are saying. Well, look at this again. Verse 19, I could go on and on about this verse for a long time. Maybe you're saying to yourself, he has. But whatever, I could keep going on. Here he says, your dead shall live. See, that's the whole thing of the Bible right there. That's the whole thing of the Bible. That's it. God takes people who are dead spiritually And makes them alive by his grace and mercy. Your dead shall live together with my body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. And we could talk about that. We could talk about uh, this resurrected, glorified body we're going to get. At uh, the time of uh, uh, the rapture, and also those tribulation saints who come through the tribulation, they're going to have a resurrection probably at the end of the um, uh, thousand-year reign. But whatever, that, that's a beautiful and lovely thought that the Lord makes the dead alive. We're not playing games here. It's a matter of life and death. Well, come my people, verse 20, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, hide yourself as it were for a little moment, probably talking about how the Lord protected the remnant, especially the Jewish remnant during the tribulation period. And many people believe on scriptures we'll look at that God's gonna provide a place in the wilderness like Jordan, like Petra, and they're going to be hidden and cared for even during the tribulation period. Well, verse 21, For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood, will no more cover her slain. In that day, the Lord, with his severe sword, great and strong, look at this, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. That's mentioned in Job a couple times, a Leviathan, Uh, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he, by the way, that twisted serpent right there doesn't mean like twisted up like in a knot or something. It's coiled, ready to strike. That's what that means. And Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. Many people, most people believe um, uh, that this is, uh, speaking of Satan, speaking of Satan, and that God is going to defeat him, and that Satan has known from the very beginning there in Genesis, first couple chapters of Genesis, that Satan, right, will bruise the heel of our Lord and Savior, but our Lord and Savior will crush the head of Satan and defeat him. And yet he persists and he persists, and here again there's a prophecy that uh, he will be defeated. Well, here we go. Verse 2. I want you to catch this, it's really perceptive, Uh, excuse me, really subtle, and it'll be perceptive if you catch this. In that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine. Now, in uh, Isaiah 5, we learned that uh, Israel is the vineyard. Back in Isaiah 5, Israel wasn't doing so well. It was kind of a rough song back then. But here, it's clearly talking about Israel, a vineyard of red wine. But then I want you to notice something. It's almost here as if, look at this, look at this. Don't, don't yawn and go away for me. That the Lord is the one singing this song. I, the Lord, keep it. I water it every moment, lest any heard it. God is singing. You know this from Zephaniah, that God sings over his people. You realize that? You can go look it up in Zephaniah. God sings over his people. Some of us in the land of Facebook tonight or wherever we're listening from, YouTube or wherever, feel like you don't matter to anybody. And yet, by the blood of Christ, we come into the family of God and the Bible tells us that our Lord, his heart is to sing over his people. Mm. Let that be a comfort to you. Come into the family of God now. Now. Well, here he says, I water it. I water the vineyard. I keep it night and day. Fury isn't in me, verse four, who would set briars and thorns against me in battle. I would go through them. I would burn them together or let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. Those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall, look at this. You should circle this. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. In the Millennial Kingdom, folks, Israel's going to blossom and bud. And you say to yourself, well, I live in, you know, 2020, what's the big deal? I look at the pictures and Israel looks beautiful to me. Yeah, well, it wasn't beautiful for a very long time. It was stripped and desolate. And in the late 1800s, the Zionist movement uh, came back into Israel setting up this prophecy. And before long... Don't you know it? 1948, uh, Israel becomes a state, and all through that Zionist movement, guess what uh, kept happening? They kept buying some of the worst land in Israel, and then guess what they would do? They would become experts in irrigation and planting to the point now where they're a major exporter of tulips, Of fruits and vegetables. They even have, is this wild? I looked it up today on the internet. They even have square watermelons. Square watermelons. Go check it out in Israel. Right? Isn't that beautiful? And so uh, the land, when you go over there with us, uh, Lord willing, if you go over there with us, you're going to see how beautiful Israel is. And you're going to see some of the uh, technology that allows them to do this. And this says in the millennial kingdom, Israel's going to blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Well, all of that's starting to happen already. It's coming to fruition. Well, keep going. Verse 7. Has he struck Israel? as he struck those who struck him? Or has he been slain according to the slaughter of those who were slain by him? Verse 8. In measure, by sending it away, you contend with it. He removes it by his rough wind in the day of the east wind. therefore, by this iniquity of Jacob will be covered. Now, you remember this in a Romans 11.26. Do you remember this? Remember... Uh, this portion of Romans is like the exhibit that 's attached to the legal brief. And what Paul says is, if you want to know Christianity and god 's grace, look at Israel. And now, uh, in Romans 11:26, it says that all of Israel will be saved. How? Why? What's going on? Nobody in Israel, not many in Israel, believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Well, the seven-year period of tribulation, as the church is pulled out, and there's these um, uh, tribulation uh, events happening, and uh, uh, then it's going to be unmistakable when the Lord comes back to rule and reign from Jerusalem with his saints, they're going to finally see. God has a plan For Israel. Well, and this is all the fruit of taking away his sin when he makes the verse 9 and 10 when he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones that are beaten to dust. In other words, he was breaking up their idols. Lord, break up the idols in us. Wooden images, incense, altars shall not stand. Yet the fortified city will be desolate. Uh, the habitation forsaken and left like a wilderness. There the calf will feed and there it will lie down and consume its branches when its boughs are withered. Uh, Some people believe this is talking about godless cities. Remember, other nations will be judged. Uh, Some people believe that's what this is talking about here, where its boughs are withered and they will be broken off and the women come and set them on fire for it's a people of no understanding. Therefore, look at this, he who made them will not have mercy on them. And he who formed them will show them no favor, and it shall come to pass in that day. Here's, oh, it's just so beautiful. That the Lord will thresh from the channel of the river to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered one by one. You will be gathered one by one. What's going to be happening in the millennial kingdom? Check this out. The Lord's going to be worshipped by regathered people. Oh, you children of Israel, end of verse 12, 13, so it shall be in that day. The great trumpet will be blown. They will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria and they who are outcasts in the land of Egypt and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine Isaiah having to say this because Assyria was the most hated people In the world at the time, just turn back real quick and then we're going to have the folks come up and lead us in a song. Turn back to chapter 19, verse 23. There's a prophecy, if you missed it two weeks ago, that in the day, in the day of uh, uh, the millennial time, the millennial kingdom, there was going to be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrian will come into Egypt and the Egyptian into Assyria And the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians, and now in the end of our chapter of 27, they'll worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. You catching that? Proverbs tells us, folks, a king's heart is like a water course, and the Lord can turn it wherever he wants. The king's heart is like a water course, the Lord can turn it wherever he wants. nations. The Lord can turn wherever He wants. And if you're sitting here today and you don't know the Lord in a real and saving way, if you don't know whether you're going to uh, spend the Lord or spend uh, eternity with the Lord, uh, you can know that. And the way in which you know that is you admit that you're a sinner, you repent of that sin, you turn and move towards God, and you say, Lord, I'm trusting in you. Uh, uh, by sending your son and his finished work at the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And I thank you, Lord, that he rose again, which means the sacrifice that he offered was accepted by you, Lord. And I want to trust in that for my eternal salvation. And if that's you and you've done that, I want you to contact the church because, folks, today is the day of salvation. So we're going to come up, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, and then after the song, we're just going to, uh, Olivia will pray, and uh, God bless you guys. We love you so much. Thank you, um, and uh, if you need anything, uh, contact us. So bow your heads with me. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this evening, and thank you for your mighty, eternal word. And we pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts with Isaiah, uh, these chapters. And Lord, that if anyone's out there that doesn't know you, that's tired of playing around, that has no peace, that only comes from knowing that their sins are forgiven and that they're in the family of God, I pray, Lord, we pray together that they would surrender their lives to you. Lord, may this be a real powerful night in somebody's life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.